Hi, Chris. How are you? Uh, good evening, Rod. All is well. 29th of January, and it's episode 54, so should we get straight into it? I think we should get straight into it. We've got a bit of follow-up, and I neglected to ask you last week if you'd had a chance to watch the Bleep Taskmaster. No, we haven't. I'm sorry. I, sh- I just need to get that in rotation, which I'm going to struggle this week because I'm away a few nights. But um, I'll see if I can get that in rotation with the kids. But we, as as is coming up, we are on a Star Wars bend at the moment, so it may struggle to get into the, this week's programming. That's fair enough. I, I, I'm pleased that I put you on the Taskmaster route anyway. And if we get your kids into it too, then that's a win as far as I'm concerned. So it can wait. Yeah, go for the whole family. Why not? Seems fair enough to me. Next. Oh, me, iPad. So I spoke last week. I've got a dicky port on my iPad. It doesn't always charge. Sometimes I have to turn the connector around. It definitely doesn't want to work as a Thunderbolt port. And I can't use it with my Thunderbolt screen. So I took it into Apple this week. And I was kind of bracing myself for an expensive trip, if I'm honest. And whilst I was waiting for my appointment, I was looking around at the tables with all the iPads on it. And I thought, you know what, if it is kaput, would I, would I go and buy a new one? And I was really struggling because they're not that exciting. And so I kind of hope maybe they can fix it and I can spend a small amount of money getting it fixed. And the guy said to me, the genius guy, who was very good to be fair, and you know, I'd obviously gone through the test side done. He then had to perform some tests and he couldn't perform the tests because the cable he had couldn't get the right connection that he needed. So that proved my point that it wasn't working quite right. And they said they'd just swap it out for free. Exactly the same model. No money needs to change hands. Everybody's happy. And for me, they didn't have my iPad model in there. So I've got to go back this week and pick it up. It's just come into stock today. It's about an hour from my house. It's it's a reasonable trek because there's no Apple stores near me. So so there's not much I could do. But the model of iPad I've got is the M1 one terabyte model in silver, which is now defunct in a sense. They don't make it anymore because it got replaced. But they they didn't have any in any local stores either because I'm guessing it's quite a rare model now because it's not been made anymore. There's probably a few just in the supply chain. So anyway, I'm going to go back and pick that up. I did offer and go, well, actually, could I just pay the difference and upgrade it to a newer model? But apparently that wasn't an option. But what I did see, though, was the swap-out cost, about £750 to Apple to swap this out that's what what it comes up with and it shows you as the customer oh you don't have to pay that but i think good news on the whole i'm very happy i'm not to spend any money i can just have my ipad back as it was but i've got to wipe it obviously i think we're going to talk about that later in the show yeah that's it's good when they do that kind of stuff even if it's out of warranty they sort of go the extra mile i've had a couple of experiences that one with my daughter's iphone i want to say eight no she didn't have an eight it would have been seven i think the battery started swelling in it and it sort of pushed out past it and it was about 15 months old and they just replaced it they gave her a new phone well a refurb phone is what it actually is but they just replaced it without quibbling and the same with the laptop she had one of the original butterfly keyboard models and it stopped typing spacebar stopped working a couple of other keys stopped working and they just swapped that for a new one as well for another butterfly keyboard one unfortunately so which eventually broke also which is now downstairs in the garage taking up space frankly that i should throw away but uh, it feels wrong because other than the keyboard there's nothing else wrong with the laptop really but again they replaced it without quibbling it was out of warranty at that point such is life i guess it's just good when they go that extra mile customer service it does make you remember why you use the company when they do stuff like that yeah, I thought exactly the same while I was talking to the the engineer, the genius. I mean, he was fantastic. He understood exactly what, what I'd done and how I explained the problem. And he was really quick to diagnose it and just literally just swap it out. And I was like, fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm just glad I've got to drive back there. But is what it is. But yeah, hopefully next week I can report back on that. But there is nothing wrong with this iPad. So it's probably going to be quite anticlimactic other than when I charge it, it will actually charge. Fair enough. Good stuff. Next one's yours as well. Follow up on your studio display. 
Yeah, no, this was just something I noticed while I was in the Apple store and they had a studio display on, on display. And here in the UK, we've got like A to G ratings of how energy efficient devices are, usually like your your fridge or, or your freezer or what have you. And at the studio display is an E on energy efficiency, which when you think A is really good and A star, 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 star is like amazing. And lots of tumble dryers are going for that A rating now. Seeing the steward displays in E was a little bit upsetting for me, if I'm honest, because I use it quite a lot. I think it's fantastic, but that's not good for a screen to be worse than my tumble dryer. So that's kind of where I ended up with that. And it doesn't really bode well for Apple's energy credentials. But it was only next to the steward display. They didn't have the signs next to like an iMac or something, because I'd be interested to see what the difference is. I don't believe they had a Pro Display XDR in there. So it was just that one model that had it next to it. That is interesting. I- I'm thinking back, and when I used to unbox Dell monitors, they all came with you know an energy efficiency rating. In fact, our building at work is an energy efficiency rating, actually. When you walk in through the door, it's got the ATE thing as well. Buildings aren't generally very efficient, it must be said. I presume, I don't know this, it's maybe something we should follow up for next week, that you're you're rated within your device category, so you're efficient as a device with a, as a monitor rather than being compared to like a fridge freezer or something like that. But I don't know for sure. Is it just all electrical items are rated together i i have no idea how it works but i've I've just brought up the picture and it's just got a in green you know g in red and this is an e which is orange but it doesn't say anything else it just says 21 kilowatt hours okay so a thousand hours so i don't know what that means in relation to anything so i probably need to go and find some more of these stickers so we can do a comparison yeah i think we need to go back and do a little bit of learning about our energy efficiency ratings and what that means obviously e is bad e is what you would hope apple would be hoping for which is the takeaway from this that you would want it to be more energy efficient particularly given the price of electricity in the uk these days that if you've got this on a decent portion of the day how well does it sleep is that part of it is it never actually asleep is that why it gets the poor rating we'll have to look into it yeah no we, we you're right we should do a bit more looking into it but yeah just alarmed me a bit, like I say, for a company that likes to be so green. Mm. Bit worrying. What's next? Next, 16.3. So we talked about this last week. It was iOS getting updated and your HomePods and your TVs and your Macs and everything. And I've installed, I don't know what it is that runs on my HomePods anymore, but I've updated my HomePods to run 16.3. And I've got the original HomePods that came out in 2018. So here we are, five years later, they're taking the latest OS update, which I think is pretty good. And do you know what? I think 16.3 is the one I've been waiting for because it just seems a lot quicker. I said to you last week, I was having some issues with it connecting to the internet. And when I called out, can you play a song? It was struggling and adding things to the shopping list. This, I wonder whether, for whatever reason, maybe they had to take some code out of 16.2 because of the delayed HomePods coming out. But either way, it seems a lot better and actually night and day difference. So very happy with that. I mean, my follow-up on 16.3 is I seem to be able to tell dingus to play music again on my home pods which is a, a major win for me so i think the bug that was affecting lots of people obviously got to my ability to shout at the dingus to get it to do stuff too so that's good and then we've got the matter upgrade going to be reissued is rumored at some point in the next week or so too right yeah so hopefully the upgrading your home architecture thing will be coming back i've already upgraded mine it's been a bit iffy adding new devices but it kind of seems to be okay so i wonder whether 16.3 has actually solved a lot of bugs i wonder whether they had to pull some stuff out of previous ones because they're expecting the new home pods to ship earlier but anyway it seems good and we've now got temperature sensors in our home pod minis that have been hidden in there for years we don't have to pay a subscription and they've been firmware unlocked 
which I think is quite interesting. Have you used this at all? I've looked at it. I saw, I think it was Chance Miller on The Verge. I might have that wrong. He might be the 9 to 5 Mac journalist talking about he had three or four HomePods in his house and how he'd become addicted to updating all of his HomePods just to see the humidity and temperature sensors around the place. I'll have to try and find the article. But they were all slightly different. Even two in a stereo pair next to each other were reporting differences between sort of half a degree and one degree out. And I've only got, well, I've got a stereo pair but it's only reporting to me what they're seeing, but it's different to what the thermostat in the same room is reporting. Yeah, so it's quite interesting. So I've, I've got a set of minis here in, in, in my shed. They're on a desk, so they're not terribly far apart, say four foot. One says it's 11 degrees right now, and the other one says 12. So that's a difference of a degree. When I came down, they were one and a half degrees different. Yeah, it's a bit weird they don't just do a combined reading for the pair. That would make more sense to me. You know, what's the temperature in this room? And it comes from the home pods, whereas... I guess you need to do something, what's the temperature in this room and, and have a between in there. So maybe that will get ironed out as we get future software updates. Hopefully so, yeah. It is nice to get surprises like this, isn't it? You know, the, there are sensors in these things that they've enabled. It makes you wonder if there's a longer game coming where they have actually put sort of humidity and temperature sensors. Is there an Apple fan in the works, for example, that's going to be able to turn on when it you know goes above a particular temperature or something like that? Who knows what they've got in mind for this? Yeah, I wouldn't mind to do some automation with my Dyson, but my Dyson does not work with HomeKit, and I don't know where Dyson are at with Matter, so I'm curious to see where they end up on that one. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Anyway, it's good It's good that we're getting these things. The next bit of follow-up is for me. The last couple of weeks, you and I have been experimenting with various note-taking apps to try and get things a little bit more live. We tried, and again, the, the name of the thing is Escapes Me, the collaborative note-taking app that Apple built into iOS 16. It was all in one place that you didn't like. What was it called? I can't remember. I'll let you think about it while I witter on for a second. We used Freeform. App- Freeform, that's the fella. We used Freeform. You didn't like it because it was too all over the place rather than being one nice column. A Word document style We tried Pages, but it wasn't particularly live. And last week we tried Apple Notes. I said I'd go away and try and find something else. This week we are trying via my Synology, Synology Office, which operates in a web browser and gives you a vaguely Google Office, Microsoft Word style collaborative editing thing in an open way, open in as much as I think it's actually LibreOffice or something like that that's running on the background here. But so far, I can see your cursor. I've seen you type a couple of things. It looks like it's working to me. Yeah, you know what? This seems to be the best out of all of them, to be fair. I think you were typing to me before the show and you were telling me what you were typing. And as you were saying that the letters to me over the Zoom call, I could see them appear. So yeah, I definitely think this is the best we've seen yet. Yeah, so far so good. And just, you know, from a operational point of view to set it up if everybody has wants to try something like this and you have a reasonably modern Synology that can run it on. It was a matter of going into the Synology app store on the device, saying I wanted to install it. It found all the dependencies and did it. And then I had two options. I could have shared this file with you as a read-only document or as an, a guest editor to anybody with a link so they could jump in and start typing. Or I could add you as a user to my Synology and just give you access to, as a team member to a particular folder on it and that actually worked really well so that's what i've done in this case you'll be able to jump on and create documents and all the rest of it but if we ever had like a guest on the podcast we could easily generate a link for a specific document for them give them right access to it just for that one time so i I gotta say they've got the security controls quite well thought out too yeah i i was impressed with it it was quite easy to log in and use so no complaints here as being the end user so it does some good i'd be happy to continue with it yeah, and we're both in a web browser. I believe you were hinting that maybe some of your keyboard shortcuts don't work quite as well as you'd like. But it's first go on. Maybe we'll go off it by the end of the show here. We'll see. Yeah, but I just, on my iPad, I just want to do command left arrow, which normally takes you to the start of the line or to the start of the word. And that just, for whatever reason, didn't seem to work. But other than that, 
I think it seems fine. It's probably worth, worth persevering with. Fair enough. Let's stick to it. Uh, got anything else in follow-up that we've missed? No, I think that's it. We've done our follow-up for the week and we've just got a few bits of news, haven't we? We do. It's it's been a relatively quiet week, unsurprisingly, because you know there was all sorts of releases and things last week. There's been less tech firings and Twitter drama this week as well for a change. And actually, I don't think Activision, Blizzard, and Microsoft have managed to stay off the radar too. So uh, a relatively quiet week. But we will fire straight into one Twitter story, I think. Yeah, go on then. Give us the summary of what Twitter <laughs> have done there. So as part of their cost-saving exercises, Twitter have been not paying their rent, effectively. So this was first obvious in their offices in California. Elon had obviously decided one of the ways they could save a bit of money as, as, as the massive shortfall when he'd taken over was not to pay the rent, or at least wait till a demand came through before he did so. But it's not just in California, actually. So there was a story... In the UK press this week, the linked article is to an Irish paper, just to give a little bit of independence and a change from the usual things we go on, about the British royal family suing Twitter after Elon Musk's company allegedly stops paying rent in the London HQ. This is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I don't really know what to say. This feels like a false economy for Twitter. You've signed a contract, you're not paying it, you're going to go to court because it's cheaper. That just seems bonkers to me. Like We all know that going to court is usually not a cheap option. What got me on this story, though, is the rent is over $3 million per month. What were they even doing renting that building? Well, I mean, they obviously wanted it in a trendy part of London, and you can understand. I think I believe Apple have bought offices near the Tate Modern, somewhere at that part of the, of the river. Yeah, now Apple are further down the river to the west in what was Battersea and Old Power, Power Battersea Station? Battersea Power Station, yeah. So they're, they're in Battersea Power Station, which is where there's a few sort of up-and-coming tech companies and all the rest of it. And of course, you want to be where the cool things are. You want to be near a tube station, presumably, if you're living in London, but are working in London. But $3.36 million a month to King Charles, I nearly said Prince Charles, is really quite a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and you were just liking them to Apple, but... Apple are in profit. <laughs> They're not in the red. So it just seems a bonkers measure. You see it with a lot of companies. Oh, we've got our London address, but do you really need it in this day and age? So I'm surprised by A, they've got it, and B, the way Elon's going around cutting costs. Well, there's two things here, isn't there? He demanded everybody comes back and works in the office, or you're fired, and then he doesn't pay for the offices that people are working in. It's a bit of a dichotomy in that one. <laughs> It's a fair point. And I think that coming back to the office isn't just a Twitter thing. I think we're going to see more of that this year. As the world gets back to some form of normality, I can see a lot more businesses wanting staff in the office. Yeah, I, I mean, I do understand it. And one of our fellow universities here in Wales is demanding that all staff are back in, in the offices as of, well, I think it was from about August last year. I think they were saying, you know, five days a week, we expect you back in the office working normal hours again. So... That hasn't gone down particularly well, and I'm sure it's unrelated to the university and school strikes and things that are going to be happening over the next couple of days. I think there's 17 university days strikes planned up and coming. So all these things, the work-life balance, which Twitter are obviously failing badly at at the moment, well, as you say, I think we'll see a lot more of it. It, it, it. Some form of normality, I think, or some form of balance has to be achieved, but I don't know where the line is in that yet. Yeah, I'm a big fan of balance, of working in the office. That's that's where I'm at. I think a few days a week in and a few days a week out, I think that's healthy for both sides. Anyway, Twitter, what what is going on there? I go back to my previous comment. You thought they'd have had a better plan than this to turn Twitter around. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, this isn't long-term, is it? It's not a long-term solution, unless all they want is a port a cabin somewhere. But uh, yeah, this is a bad move. Yeah, idiotic. 
Moving on, Apple has announced that they're changing pricing across the world, actually, not just in the UK, but in all sorts of places. The, the prices are going up and down. There was a detailed note sent out to developers. I got my email, even though I don't actually have anything for sale in the App Store for my silly little app that's still in test flight and has been forever, that prices would be changing. There's a very comprehensive PDF document that I've linked to in the show notes where they go through every single country and the tiers of pricing that are on. So, for example, for the United Kingdom, if you're on tier zero, the new price is zero pounds and zero pence. If you're on tier one, the new price is 99 pence. Was that 75 pence before? I think it might have been. Yeah, it's a bit annoying because it says customer price new. It's pretty, it doesn't have customer price old. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was 79 pence. I think they went down a few years ago, but obviously where the dollar is now a lot stronger, as we commented on, like the iMac getting more expensive last week, if the apps are also getting more expensive. It is quite interesting, this tier. So I think we did touch on this in the previous podcast. There are 87 tiers in Apple's pricing, all the way from £0.00 and £0.00 up to £999.99 at tier 87. Actually, it's 88, isn't it? Because they start counting at zero. So yeah, that's quite a lot of tiers. They do like to cover every price point, though, when they offer something for sale. And I think they're achieving it. Yeah, definitely. That's pretty comprehensive, that. So, yeah, prices are going up in the UK you know, by somewhere around 15p, and probably that sort of is exponential across the range. So it is interesting. They do note that in Ireland there's a reduction of VAT on periodicals and newspapers from 9% to 0%. I mean, I guess that's fair enough. It depends on the tax laws within the country. Luxembourg has also reduced in value from 17 to 16%. Singapore has increased of goods and service tax from 7 to 8%. And Zimbabwe has increased value-added tax from 14.5% to 15%. So, yeah, changes across the board, really. And that just sort of reflects the global market. Yeah, I don't think it's a big surprise, is it? And to be fair, Apple haven't done it for a long time, I think, especially here in the UK. So I think, to be fair, they could be flexing this muscle a lot more. I mean, you see it like with your mobile phone provider. They usually increase your contract, even if it's only by 10p or something. They do it generally every year. So it's a new tax year starts. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, as you observed last week with the HomePods, you know, the HomePod mini went up in price at the same time they released the new HomePod. And, you know, we'll talk about in the very next story, actually, we're going to talk a little bit about the Mac, sorry, story after next, we're going to talk about the M2 Mac mini and its sort of changes and things and changes to prices. There's definitely a certain amount of price pushing, they're pushing up the ceiling in a lot of the products across the line. I think they are outside of their home country. I think if we were in America, well, some things may increase marginally, I think they're not seeing the increases we are. They're seeing a lot of things, such as the latest iPhone, come out and hit the same price point, whereas we're seeing the increase because of the dollar being so strong. That's true. What I'm not clear about when I look at Apple's website in dollars is sales tax, because that is very sort of state-dependent, isn't it, sales tax? And that is added to the final price in a lot of places. Yeah, that's my understanding. And I used to run a, a bit of an American website, and it wasn't just where the company was based. It was also where you're getting either it shipped to or, or wherever your invoice address was of how the interstate tax worked. It was very bizarre rules for, from an outsider's point of view. Yeah, I, do, there, I, I occasionally get this little culture shock listening to some of the things in America. I don't know if you were listen, listening to the most recent ATP episode where they were talking about the cost of health insurance. And Casey Liss, one of the podcasters on that, saying his health insurance per member of his family. No, the whole family is $1,500 a month, which is more than his mortgage, to get his health insurance for the state he's in. And then he's got a coverage cost of up to $3,000 per member of the family. So he's got to hit $3,000 before the health insurance actually cuts in. And as somebody in the UK with the NHS, I just find that staggering. Yeah, and they often obviously comment on how the UK is run with the NHS. And whilst again, it's not perfect, it's a, frankly a lot less scary than what it could be. At least you don't get a dirty, great big bill 
just to get looked at or if you have an operation or what have you so i i think we are very lucky and i implored the nhs i'm a big fan and very comfortable with it but yeah it was quite scary numbers they were reading off yeah very very quickly as well and worse in new york state according to one of the hosts anyway we're get we're, i've drifted off topic there i apologize but price increases across the board but in some ways we're cursed in this country for having to deal with a dollar to a pound thing but we can still count our chickens in other ways yeah, I think that's a fair way of looking at it. Right, next up, we've got one in here about security keys for enhanced security. So this came with the latest version of iOS 16.3. I tried to turn this on, actually. I don't know. Have you have you tried it at all? I haven't tried it yet. I still need to sort out, you know, secure contacts to even do the first stage of this. I've been very lax in actually going in and getting my finger out and sorting this out. So tell me about your experiences, and I'll just talk about YubiKeys in general afterwards, maybe. Okay, so two things, I guess, to note. One, when you upgrade to 16.3, you can turn on advanced data protection. I nearly said recovery. I knew it was the wrong word. So you can turn on advanced data protection, which means that basically everything apart from email contacts and calendar are are encrypted with Apple, you know, all your data in your iCloud account. And you can actually stop your data being accessible through iCloud.com when you log in. So you can actually lock it down. But to turn that on, you need to set up a recovery contacts at least one so i set my wife up and i basically grabbed her phone off and said Look, i'll just quickly set it up basically what it means is if ever i need to get into my iCloud account you're the person i trust to do that i was also thinking that i should set somebody else up to do it and i was thinking my brother because what happens if you know my wife and i live together we'll be on holiday together what happens if both of our devices got stolen or something and actually i would then be in proper limbo so i think i'm going to set my brother up with it so that just in case anything happens you've got like get out of jail card and what it means is somebody that's not you can reset your account if you lose all your devices so you can get back into it so i have turned on advanced data protection I've seen no difference, but for me, I think it's just more peace of mind. And I have been on a security tear since Christmas of making sure my passwords are the strongest possible in one password and they're all unique. And I've, I've been doing all of that and setting up all the, you know, the two-factor authentication. So I'm, I'm very keen on that. And then the other thing that you can now do with 16.3 is turn on security keys. So instead of you getting an alert on one of your devices that pops up and goes, do you approve this this new device or this website signing into your iCloud account and then you, then on the device that you're accepting that that login on you can then you get a six digit code that you then have to type in up on where you're trying to activate your account you need to use a security key instead so I thought I'd turn this on and I use this already on one password and I would like to use it on my Microsoft work account but Microsoft don't let you do that at the moment if you're on an iOS device which is a shame because I think that's a good level of security but what I didn't realize with Apple is that you need two YubiKeys to do this. And a YubiKey, and I'll let you go into more detail of it, is a piece of hardware. It's like a hardware key that you either plug into your computer or you can have ones without NFC on it. But I, I was just going to set it up for my Apple account. I thought, I've got a YubiKey. I'll just use it for that. Same one, I use one password. So you can use one YubiKey for multiple things. But Apple want you to have two, which does make sense. And basically, they want you to have one with you. And I'm guessing put the other one in a really safe place so that if ever you lose it, You've got that option. So I think to be fair to Apple, they are really trying to push people to think right about doing any of these things. You want more security, you also need to take some more precautions and do it in the right way. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I do see the requirement to have two YubiKeys as a possible thing. But 
these things aren't particularly cheap, you know. So on the website that's initially linked, it's the American prices. The cheapest one starts at $55. For the EU and the UK, it starts at 50 euros, excluding VAT. So it is a little bit more than that, depending on where you do it from. And UB keys can come in a variety of flavors. So as you say to that, there's ones that just all of them plug into either USB or Thunderbolt. But you get additional ones that have NFC on them as well. If you're the right kind of iPhone and the right find it, a kind of UB key, then you can use the NFC thing instead of actually having it plug it into the lightning port of your iPhone or the USB-C port of your Mac. I have experience of UB keys as we use them in the enterprise for our more secure sort of access remote desktop, for want of a better way of saying that, where you have a username and a password that the user knows, so something you have, something you know, which is your password and your username, and then something you have, which is the UB key. We have a call it a slightly degraded version of that where we do rely on the two-factor authenticator code generated from something like 1Password, Microsoft Authenticator, Google Authenticator. There's a variety of these things now that you can do. But I understand the increase in security of a YubiKey. But it's quite a, it's quite a commitment Apple are expecting you to have if you're going to use this YubiKeys, isn't it? You know, to be, turn this on, you've got to give on you know, your, your, your contact details to your, your trusted person or print them out, I think, and you can put them in a safe somewhere as a potential way of doing it as well. And then have two YubiKeys in case you lose the other YubiKey. It, it, it's quite a lot they're asking people to take on for how much of an increase in security, considering that your email is still open and potentially bits of your calendars are and the other things that aren't actually sort of part of this package as well. So while I laud them from increasing the security, I'm worried they're making the requirements, the demands to get to that level of security really quite over the top. So let's just take what you've just said. To turn on advanced data protection, you only need to set up a recovery contact, one recovery contact done. So that's a nice, easy one. And I'd recommend everybody should do that. Why wouldn't you? You get free protection. It's more, you have a high level of encryption on all of your iCloud stuff, apart from mail, calendar and contacts. This then security key piece is then just a replacement for have, using another device to approve a sign-in. And it's probably something hard for people to spoof. And I agree with you, there is a higher barrier to entry because somebody like me, I've got one of these UB keys and I've put a link to it in the show notes. I've got one that is USB-C and NFC. And I bought that one ages ago. And I, like I say, I use it with one password. I like to use it with Microsoft and I'd like to use it with Apple. And I bought that one because I thought it's, it's quite future-proofed. You know, it's NFC, which will work on my phone and USB-C for you know, all other devices in essence. I didn't want to get the one that does Lightning and USB-C because I think we're all hoping Lightning's going to go away. But the key I'd like to buy, I want to buy a second one exactly the same. Ideally, I'd like to buy in a different color so I can differentiate between the primary and the secondary, if that makes sense. But the one I want is backordered for two months. It's a bit of a shame. And it's actually gone up £10 since I pitched it in the UK. So I paid 57 for it a year ago. It's now £67, which is marginally annoying, but Equally in the UK, I think we're seeing a lot of things going up in cost. But I have used this key before. I think it's very good. So I often leave it in my iPad or with my screen, and then I just push my thumb on it to, to authenticate. And then you just NFC it with your phone. You just hold it to the back of the phone, and it works that way. And it works really well with 1Password. So I do agree with you. There is a barrier to entry. But now 1Password's doing it. Apple are doing it. Hopefully Microsoft will get there with their corporate accounts, if not with their personal accounts. I think these things will become more prevalent and therefore, actually, spending circa £100 on two keys probably isn't that bad for that extra piece of security. It's probably not for most people. I think I'm probably more rigid on it because of my position in my day job. I work for a corporate IT department, and security is a big thing. And it would be very embarrassing if I had to admit I'd had a breach personally because we're always trying to you know, implore that people do the best. It's a bit like your health and safety advisor, you know, cutting their finger or falling off a stepladder because they're the people that the ambassadors for that. So that's why I'm 
big on security, I think, because I, a, I want to protect myself, but B, I'm interested in it personally, but C, it would be yeah, embarrassing if I were to have a breach or, you know, and suffer any, any loss of data. Yeah, I do understand. And I think for most people, the security that's already there, you authenticate another device, your iPad, your Mac, whatever it is, they know where the devices are. They're, you know, they're, they're quite happy to go on there and click accept and re, you know, make use of the code that fires up on their iPhone to get on with it. So I agree, this is an extra level of security again, particularly you already had a use for it in 1Password or something like that. And that's fine. I, I wonder how much more security it gives you. And again, I'm not, you know, I understand a corporate demand to do so or worry about you. You know, the information commissioner's office is going to be on your shoulder because you've breached something. Fine, by all means, you know, push up the security of that. So yeah, I do understand it. I think for the majority of our audience who might be listening to this, the chances are you're secure devices because you're not likely to be at attack risk as a government minister or a CEO of an IT company or a politician. You've probably got enough security in the devices that you have to stop the man in the middle thing. So switch it on, but I don't know if everybody needs to go for the YubiKey. And just before I finish, because I know you're desperate to say something, if you scroll down a little bit more on the YubiKey website, you can get various fashion covers for your YubiKeys on the link I've just put in the show notes. So you could put a little jacket on your YubiKey and get a nice stylish one if you want. I did not know that, but I do agree with everything you've said. And whilst I was looking at turning this heightened level of security on for myself, I wasn't really planning to do it for my wife just yet because I thought, let me let me dog food it first. But equally, I'd probably be keen to encourage her to do it as I would be my children as they get a bit older and a bit more into having tech and carrying more data and things. But it's certainly, yeah, not something for everybody, if that makes sense. And I do try and look after the family as best I can. We're trying to encourage password managers, unique passwords, you know, make sure the devices are patched. But it's, as you've seen with your own children, it's hard because people don't see them as being a risk yeah and that's you're only as weak as strong as your weakest point and for a lot of people they're not using a password manager at all they haven't it's in some cases may not have switched on the two-factor stuff for their apple devices although i think they've made it more and more of a requirement these days but i see in the real world how resistant people are even to installing security updates they're more likely to be at risk for having an unpatched operating system than they are you know, and then their weak password one, two, three, and then the next thing. By the time you get up to the level of them worrying about things like YubiKeys, I, I, it's a concern of mine that they haven't got that far. And you're, you and I, of course, have a different perspective on these things because where we are, what we do on this podcast and what we do in our, in our jobs in real life. So it, it's, I think there's a, a piece for all of us who work in IT to do a better job in educating people how important it is to consider when you connect to Instagram and it sends all your contacts off to everybody and what that means, it's not just a risk for you, it's it's everybody else. The fact you're using password123 on every website you visit is a heightened security risk for lots of reasons. And then ultimately, we'll get to the point with you know why you want to consider using a password manager and YubiKeys and the increased level of security and turn on your face ID, don't leave your phone without a passcode on it, all that kind of stuff. The basics are important as well as the sort of the high-end stuff, but I'm glad they've got this option. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, th- I think you're right the level of security for most people is at a really good state in that most people have got 2FA on their devices. Most people have got face ID. You know, there was a time when we all had an iPhone and we didn't even have a pin code on it, even though it was there from day one. So I do think we've come a long way. I don't disagree. I just find it a really interesting area. And yeah, I'm keen to do as much much as possible so that I'm not a drive-by victim, if that makes sense. I don't think I'm a target for anybody, but you could just, just by being online, you, you can become a victim just, just yeah by just being there and having weak security. Nope, it's a fair comment. It's the right thing to do, and I'm glad you're taking one for the team and trying it out for us. Yeah, I'm doing it for the greater good. The greater good.
That's our Hot Fuzz reference for the week. Moving on, there's been a controversy, well, a slight controversy, re-erupted over the new Mac Minis and MacBook Pros. If you go for the lowest end models, which have the 256 gig SSDs in them, they're significantly slower storage than they are on the 512 models, and they're significantly slower storage than were on the M1 models that preceded them. So this isn't great. I'm mixed on this one. I agree. I don't think it is great. I personally wouldn't want it. But you know what? They're in a fantastic price point with that. And if I was buying an M2 Mac for my son, I'd buy him the slow one. He wouldn't even know, but he would get such a good machine. So I'm comfortable they're hitting a, a cheaper price point and they compromise in performance a little bit because I think the performance that they generally deliver across the board is so good. I don't think most people would even notice. It just annoys techie people like you and me because, you know, we would want the fast one. It does annoy me. It annoys me because, yeah, it's a, it's a good price point. But if you bought last year's model, you'd have had faster storage. What, that's super cheaping out. But a slower processor. Yeah, but is it that much slower? I wonder where you'd notice that difference. I think if you're doing a lot of disc-intensive stuff, you're more likely to notice the disc. It's 50% slower than it was. I would also point out, which is probably even more, it's a more terrible thing, frankly, is that 256 gigs is not a big enough storage on any computer these days. And the fact that Apple charged 200 quid to go from 256 quid gig to 512 gig is just amazing. <laughs> I kind of agree with you on all of that. I'm constantly running out of space on my Mac, and so is my wife. And I probably always cheap out on storage, and actually I should probably just buy the bullet, buy a bit more storage next time I buy a Mac, knowing that I'm going to keep it longer. I think for me, I need a two terabyte one at this point. And I have felt the pain of where I've moved all of our photos to a shared photo library, and my wife's Mac was previously set to download all her photos. It's now trying to download all of our photos and her photos and then when it tries to then time machine it, you're just backing up infinitely more data, which is good and bad because you're having more copies of your, your shared photos, which is great. But her poor little Mac laptop just hasn't got the capacity for it. And it was a bit of an oversight on my part. I think. Yeah, it's easy to think. I just, I, all, all we need is this because we're the size of this now. Most laptops going to keep at least three years and probably five or six in many cases. So you need to think where you're going to be in a few years. And your photo library isn't going to get any smaller at this point, is it? If you want to keep them all to hand, then you've got to spend the money in the storage. What I would say is you have bought a terabyte of memory for your PlayStation 5 recently, which is good, fast SSD. How much did that cost you? Um, I don't know, but literally about a month later, is half price. Sure, but it was probably like 150 quid tops for the app, for, you know, for a terabyte of super fast storage. Please hold cool. It was. He's actually looking. This is exciting. It reading. was two terabytes, and I paid two hundred and forty pounds. Okay, so to add two terabytes to this Mac Mini is eight hundred pounds. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and I mean, this was one I put in my PlayStation Five, and is performant, and you know, it's performant enough that you can play PS Five games direct from it. So, yeah, and and this was also an order I placed about a year ago, and literally later on that year it dropped down to about 150 pounds for yeah. the same same performance and storage. So there is no way two terabytes is 800 pounds. And that that's my point really, is that nobody should be buying the cheapest tier of storage for this anyway. Everybody should at least think about one terabyte, I would suggest. One terabyte adds 400 pounds to the price of this model. Two terabyte is 800 pounds for this. Whereas consumer SSDs, which are fast enough for... 4K, you know, 120 frames per second, high-performance video games are £120, and that's a huge difference. Yeah, it's bonkers, isn't it? 
I don't know what to say. They, you always have the Apple tax though on RAM and on storage, but they do seem in a different world at the moment. Yeah, the RAM I can forgive a little bit more. Apple have always been mean on RAM. You know, 24 gigs of RAM for this thing is 400 quid, which is still quite a lot considering what you could go and buy in, in terms of DDR5 RAM, RAM these days. I understand it's all on the chip. I understand it's all sold to the motherboard. But it's when, when you look at it, and I uh, we agreed on this last week, I think the Mac Mini is a terrific product at a terrific price point. And the base one, with the exception of storage, is more than good enough for most people. And of course you can expand it by, stick, by attaching a hard disk to the back of it. But that's kind of not the point. And you're not going to do that if it's a laptop. Yeah, that is true. And I think I am always guilty of cheaping out on my devices. So, well, in the storage, I did go for a terabyte on my iPad pro but i only went for the terabyte because that's when you got 16 gig of ram and so it was more the ram that pushed up the storage rather than the desire for the storage i would have probably gone 512 normally yep fair enough anyway i think we've mo- we've made our point on that we can move on and the next one's for you on matter oh yeah so you you put this in the show notes of eva now providing an update a firmware upgrade for their plugs to matter so i went and had a look i've got a bunch of eve stuff but i think mine are all too old and the signal come up with any firmware updates eve have done very few firmware updates with the ones i've had they've been very good to be fair but what it was saying though is it's quite a rigmarole so if you've got a non-matter device today and it's a home kit device and normally inside of the home kit device or on the back it will have a home kit number and a qr code and you use that to add it to your home. But what it's saying is, once you upgrade it to Matter, that that QR code and number you've got on the back to add it to HomeKit is now null and void because it will get replaced with a Matter one, and then you need to store that somewhere. But it sound, it just all sounded a bit of a rigmarole. And then once you have got everything upgraded to Matter and you go in the Home app, you can't tell what's Matter and what isn't Matter. So I'm surprised by that, that Apple seemed to be... Comp- well, I guess I'm surprised and I'm not, but they seem to be completely hiding matter from the home app whereas i think i'd want to know what have I, what have i got on my network that is matter and what isn't because at some point you might reach it where you know what i'm going to phase out the non-matter stuff because all of a sudden matter's got a lot better but i think the whole matter piece has been a bit lackluster in delivery i don't know what, you, what your thoughts are well given the state of the software update that apple did yeah i think the whole matter piece has been quite lackluster and despite us both saying that ces this year was the final proper launch of matter it hasn't gone terribly well, it seems to me, either through Apple or through this, which does look like a rigmarole. I think that's a nice way of pushing it. I slightly... Yeah. Go on. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, and I was expecting to be scratching around to buy some new devices and looking for some money in, a, in my bank account to go, you know, I must get this new Matter device. And I've seen nothing that I'm really itching to go and buy because I haven't seen that Matter's done anything for me. I, was, I went for lunch yesterday with some in-law. One of them is almost 80 years old. And he was delighted to have just got his first Amazon dingus device. I won't say the word in case I trigger anything. I was how happy he could ask it to tell him jokes and all the rest of it. And I said, oh, are you going to get some light bulbs and things like that? He said, oh, no, it's just too confusing. You know, I went on the website. I was trying to work out. I didn't understand what Zigbee was. I didn't understand why some of them were Google Home. I didn't. And he's got iPhones and Macs as well. I didn't understand why some of them were Apple. So I just, I left it. I, I asked it to tell me a joke. I asked it to play some music for me. And that's as far as I'm going with it. And that's the crux of this, I think. You're you're somebody who knows and you're looking in an app and you're looking to see whether it's this is matter, this isn't. I don't think the word matter means anything to people who haven't been interested in this space for a long time. And none of this toing and froing and software updates and things breaking and having to scan in QR codes to update yourself to a new thing is helping this. Yeah, I'd agree with everything you said. It feels like this is a tricky transition. 
it's been a long time coming. We've half got there and it's not been delivered terribly well. And it feels like, yeah, what's probably going to happen is, you know what, we're probably another nine months out from this possibly being a meaningful thing. Maybe it's next Christmas that actually I'll be able to, I will go and buy something that's a matter replacement. Maybe it's a plug or some lights and it will actually make a difference to me. But at the moment, I'm just going to stick with all the plugs I've got. They're all Eve home ones. They, they are a bit bulky, I find, but you know what? They're generally pretty good. So I'm waiting to see where this ends up. And look, hopefully I'll be eating my words in June and buying some new, new bits and toys and stuff to play with. But I'm hopeful that it will level the playing field. It will make it easier for people. They can just go and buy, buy anything. And it doesn't matter whether it's Google, Alexa or, or Apple. And hopefully we'll also drive down the price because the Apple HomeKit stuff was always a premium. It'd be nice to see actually we meet somewhere in the middle. Maybe it's not as cheap as all, all the Alexa bits and bobs or Google Home, but it's not as expensive as the HomeKit stuff. That's, that's what I'd like to see from it. We shall see. Moving on, next story, which I can't read because it's paywalled, so hopefully we'll be able to find an, an alternative link for the story that you've posted here to Coding as a Career. Do you want to take us through this? Yeah, I was a bit worried about this because I do read quite a bit on the Financial Times website. I do have a subscription to it. I wasn't sure if this was payable for everybody because in the app it said I could send a link to some people to read. And then when I viewed it on the web browser, I thought I'd just copy and paste the URL and put it on the show notes. But all, all this was, I just thought it was quite interesting because it was just saying that you know, with all the layoffs, with all the tech companies, so a bit of follow-up really, that actually coding is still a really good career. It's still a great thing to get into. It's, you know, it's still a great place to be because at the end of the day, there's so much software out there. We're still going to need developers and programmers. Even if we start telling AI how to write our own apps and things, we definitely still need a lot of programmers. So it's still worth children, I say children, students today going to university or having a job or an MVQ where they are learning programming. And I, I saw it was an interesting take. That was all. No, I, it's not something that's going away, is it? And, you know, we've, we've joked on this podcast before about, you, you know, you've still got people coding languages like Prolog and things like that for banking apps and all the rest of it. That has, it isn't going away. It's taking the financial industry a long time to move to something newer. By the time they've moved to something newer, they'll probably be then 15 years behind the state of the art for Rust or whatever the next language is that's going to sort of dominate that kind of market. So there'll always be a need for historical legacy coders. But even at the cutting edge, there's more and more devices running, more and more programming languages, which shift all the time as to what's popular. And if you think of areas such as mine and research, actually what analysts are, are programmers in specific languages, Python and R, and you know financial analysts are the same. They use these sort of languages to do it. And although there's a slightly shiny front end put on some of them, such as Stata and SPSS and some of the, sort of the hardcore languages like that, the up and coming things are programming languages. R is a programming language. Python and Pandas, which which depends on our programming languages, and that's not going away anytime soon. You're going to need more people to make more sense of this data. And I completely agree with you that. Chat GPT and those kinds of things. I forget the, the name of the AI-based programming thing that uh, Microsoft tried to do in GitHub, Code AI or something. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. So it would, as you would start to type your C-sharp program, it would suggest the kind of function you were going in to go into and rename some things for you and give you an example of how you might want to complete your loop for want of a better example or where your function entry and exit points were. It's that All that is, you still need to know what you're doing in order to accept that the, what it's suggesting for you is the correct thing. Because if you just ignorantly go along with what the suggestions are, then you know where you'll end up and how well tested your code will be is unlikely. So I'm not surprised that there's going to continue to be a demand for this kind of stuff. It's not going away. In the same way plumbing's not going away, I think development isn't going away. And frankly, it's only getting harder in many cases when you think of even something like Swift UI to understand 
the language, the development environment, and then the whole mess of stuff to post it to Apple in its various ways, shape man's, I nearly said it again, in its various aspects to make it available both in test flight and then on the App Store is a whole dark art in and of itself, even just beyond knowing the language. Yeah, I no, I definitely agree with that. Like understanding the fundamentals of how a computer operates, how languages work, how databases work, how systems interact. It's a skill and it isn't going anywhere. And in some ways, albeit that these tech companies are, are sadly laying off a lot of people as we discussed, it's it's going to be a skill that we need for years to come. Like you say, like with plumbing, electricity, it's not gone anywhere. And in anything, those people are more in demand and ch- charge uh, hopefully good salaries because there aren't enough of them. So no, I'm with, I'm with you on this. I just thought it was a good article. I thought it was well written. I enjoyed it. I'm sorry it's paywalled. I will try and find content next week that isn't payroll but i can recommend the ft i'm very lucky in that my subscription i paid for it once and i've managed to get a free one for the last five years so um, i don't know how i've managed it um, it, it is a really good sign i do enjoy their articles lucky you moving on the next article is from mark gurman in bloomberg and it's just a few notes about the apple headset this mixed reality headset that's been proposed for a while so we've touched on it off and on here i think last time we said we'd there'd been a hint about its price the fact it was going to be 4k screens within it and all the rest of it and he's i don't like the the phrase particularly but he's doubling down on the fact this is going to be a three thousand dollar device and it's quite a, it's a long article but it's worth a read and his fundamental takeaway is he doesn't see a killer app for this $3,000 device. So it's going to be a much bigger gamble for the company than I think than he thinks they're making, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious on this one because, uh, I, as, as I've said, I think previously on the show, I'm flip-flopping on whether to get my, my VR just for my PlayStation. And I really am close to cancelling that, I think, because I'm just not sure it's for me. And I'm struggling to see what Apple are going to do with this. And I'm a little worried because obviously Google had Google Glass many years ago now and that that's just disappeared whereas that actually looked like it had some promise to me in that it was glasses that projected things and it what you weren't being completely closed off from the world so yeah I'm, I'm curious to know what apple story is going to be here i do wonder whether they've got something do you know what i mean have they got something maybe they don't know what it is a bit like with the apple watch or have they got something and it is like the iphone so it could go one of two ways yep we've got it we've nailed it like they did with the iphone straight out the gates they got it right you know look at your iphone today and go back and look at the keynote in 2007 yes it's evolved we can do more with it but the, the general concept they literally nailed it first time out but then you go and look at the apple watch today and look at the keynote of when they released it they didn't have it right they had something but it wasn't quite fully formed and they've obviously now lent in really to the exercise and the notifications piece which is what nearly all of us use our apple watches for but when they first released it they were more of a scattergun approach i'm going to say and they were going for everything because they didn't know what they were going to do with the apple watch but the iphone they did get it right first time and it was kept so under wraps is there going to be something that nobody's seen yet maybe they've got these teams all working in silos and there's one team that have got the killer app and it's you know so secret squirrel i don't know I'm, i think i'm maybe i'm hopeful but i'm super curious to see where they go with it because if it is just i can have my meeting say like now with you this is a meeting in essence i can now do that with my goggles on that's not a killer app to me that's just means well i can't even see the outside world which sounds like torture yeah and this is my worry is that the iphone was an amazing product but it brought simplified and brought together a number of concepts that people were very happy with. They knew what the internet was. They knew what a telephone was. You know, they could communicate with people. And putting that onto one device, 
which was an amazingly, it was a well-built product. It looked a little, it was different enough, the flexibility of the keyboards and all the rest of it. Followed, you know, following up the iPod, which people had accepted as, you know, the music device of what everybody wanted from that point. It brought together all of those things into one device. That was an instant hit. It was never going to be anything other than a hit, really, despite BlackBerry and others laughing at them. And who's laughing now? Um, the iPad wasn't quite such a hit. I'd, I'd, I'd put out there and still isn't such a hit I'd put out there. It's a big iPhone to this day in many ways, shape, matter of fact. I'm probably being slightly mean about it. I should let you say something at that point. No, I, I, I don't disagree. I think the, the first iteration of the iPad was good. It was a big iPhone. I enjoyed it. But they just didn't iterate on it quick enough. And I don't think with the iPhone, they, they knew where they wanted to get exactly. And, the, and they've had some fits and starts. And I'm still not sure we're clear what the end goal is for the iPad. Whereas I think the end goal for the watch came quite quickly. It wasn't right straight out of the door. It was interesting and it was good. And they proved they could technically do it, but it was mixed. They just didn't know quite where it was going to end up. And I think they've actually got to where the, the Apple Watch needed to be relatively quickly. It's taken a few years, but they've, they've got there. But the iPad's never really got there. And they start one direction and go off in another. And they, I think they need to work out the end and then work out the 100 steps yeah. to get there. Yeah, and that's that's the problem, really. I think the iPhone did. It has a very clear call to people and the app store only sort of crystallized that you know you buy an iphone for the apps as much as anything these days and the watches i i think if you took the watches off most people they actually wouldn't mind that much it's a convenience it's useful it's a fashion item but it's not essential if you had to give up one apple device i think the last thing people would be hanging on to would be their iphones and the headset for me we haven't seen any evidence, and all right, Apple can game change and all the rest of it, but from all the VR headsets and AR headsets that have been available, HoloLens, the Sony one, the Oculus ones, the various ones that HTC have released with Valve, none of them have had that killer app. And you think games, if anything, should be the killer app because you want to be immersed in a thing, and they're an entertainment and an expensive one in some cases. But again, it's not a must-have device, and I'm not convinced apple have got that and and germans has this in the article they haven't got that killer app for for this and you know i could be i'd love to be proved wrong don't get me wrong but three thousand dollars without a killer app on the faith that somebody will develop something and that's a developer probably not apple that has to develop that killer app is a hell of a gamble in some senses all right they can afford it they can absorb it but it's another thing where okay where's your stellar product been since the iphone and that's a worry for me i don't I don't disagree. And like I say, I'm, I'm even debating canceling my, my PSVR because I'm just not that committed to it. And and that's about £500 in the UK, not $3,000, which will probably equate to £3,500 in the UK by the time, time we get it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm super curious to see how they position it. And I, I do enjoy the Apple events to see how they do position things and release things. But yeah, I think we need to see it. But I can't think of anything I'm gagging to put some goggles on my face and shut out the outside world that I possibly can't live without. Well, the other bit that's a piece of this that I wor- worry about Apple not having sort of be a bit more cognizant of is where they're, how they're viewed in the market now, both by the developers and they're viewed in the sort of the greater marketplace. Developers, I think, have become a little bit gun shy of, of Apple and the way they enforce the App Store rules and what they can do and what they're allowed to do on the platform. So sort of the revolution in user interfaces, as we talked about last week with Gruber getting the Ice Cubes app through, they've got, they're opinionated about what they'll let onto a platform. So it could be that one developer has the most amazing idea in the world for how to push forward on a Reality Pro, but Apple won't allow them to because it doesn't sort of fit into their current plan or guidelines for doing it. And it takes a Gruber to push something like that through. 
So if you're a small developer who has this amazing idea, you got to go and buy the $3,000 for it, you got to pay your App Store thing, you got to spend months, if not years, developing this killer application, then Apple can decide not to put it out there. That's a hell of a gamble. Yeah, that's a fair point, actually. You're right, because that is, that is potentially, like you say, massive. That Apple could just quash it overnight. But equally, I think some developers got burnt, like with the first Apple Watch, where they all rushed to get their apps out, got the apps out, and then they found the, the the way you developed apps on the original Apple Watch was awful. And then the Apple actually ended up removing it and doing it a different way, you know, moving away from WatchKit. So there is also that risk that Apple are going to rush to get this out there, give a development story that is maybe a, a stepping stone. So I think it's going to be interesting, but like with most Apple rumors, I'm more interested just to see when they actually present it and, and talk us through it. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's all we can say about that until something actually they put their money where their mouth is and this comes out or we never hear from it again. So we'll see. Anything else in news, Chris? No, I think that's it. We've been pretty comprehensive for not a lot of stories there. I feel like we did quite well. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I think we always find this. We end up talking more about the news and then it's a bit of a, a, a rush then to get through the main, the main show. Fair enough. Uh, media, straight over to you. Oh, it is me. So first up, look, I think last time I said we'd watched, the first one is... Oh, I'm having a complete memory blank. Phantom Menace, thank you. Son enjoyed it. Nine-year-old son really enjoyed it. Now we've, since we've last met, possible I haven't played many games, if we've actually watched Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, so episodes two and three of Star Wars. And he generally really enjoyed them. And he was looking forward to Revenge of the Sith, where, where you see the turn into Darth Vader. And I think for my son, it delivered in that he was like, oh, right. That's Luke, and there's Leia, and his dad has turned into Darth Vader, and they've ended with a hat going on. Hopefully, I haven't ruined this for anybody, but I mean, it is 20 odd years old. But it, it delivered for him. There were some pretty grim bits, I guess, where he's got no legs and he's crawling through molten lava and stuff. But the kids seem fine with it, to be fair, and, they, and he enjoyed it. And then my 11 year old turns around at the end of it and goes, Where's BB 8? I want to see BB 8. And so we're now teed up beautifully to watch episode seven, which should hopefully deliver on the droid front. You're not going to do Rogue One then? We have done Rogue One. Okay. So if you remember, we weirdly, we started with Rogue One. We then did episode four, five, six, and then we've done one, two, and three. So we kind of did episode 3.5 first. I explained to my son why. Also, I was planning to go and watch Andor at the time and thought I should watch Rogue One. So yeah, we, we are doing it in an odd order. So we, we're done with Rogue One. I'm not going to watch any other infills. And I can't remember which ones we got to watch. There's Solo. Is there another... No, no, I think that's it. It's just the TV then. Yeah, so you've got a fill-in with Kenobi and or... Is that it for the... Is it, no, the Mandalorian then. Mandalorian. So I think TV shows another day. Let's get the, the nine out of the way. But yeah, he super gets the story. And I think the Lego Star Wars game has really helped him. And, it, and I'd love to be nine again because he just seems to absorb all the names like a sponge. You know, he knows all the planets and he knew most of the characters' names. He's asking me around them. I was like, I can't remember what their name is. And he's like, oh, I think it's this. And then you know, it turns out to be right. So, yeah, really enjoyed them. Again, same comments as Phantom Menace in that some of the graphics don't quite hold up and there's sometimes a bit too much dialogue and jumping around a lot. But actually, I think they actually did quite a good job of keeping them in a similar vein to the originals where they're going from islands and, oh, sorry, planets and jumping through various battle scenes. And, yeah, generally quite enjoyed it. So... So far, we've enjoyed all six, I think. And it is a nice family activity. I think that's probably adding a little bit to it. Fair enough. Good. Glad you're enjoying them. Glad the family are too. It's, it's a bit of fun, Star Wars. Good. Succession. I've watched Succession 1 and 2. Oh, Succession Series 2, fantastic. And they do spend the latter half of it 
on and I've never been on one of these things, but on a just mahusive boat. I don't know what to call it. It's big gin palace. The thing is like bigger than my house. I'd hate to think what these things cost, but it's fantastic. And I really want you to watch one of them because I'd be curious just to see your view of it. So obviously I've worked, worked for a few big companies. You've largely been in academia for the last X number of years. And it'd be great just to get your view of going, is this what big companies are like or privately owned companies are like? And and all of that, because I guess I'm a little bit tainted because I see some inside, but it'd be good to see your, your view of the world. But I think it's fantastic. I'm going to watch series three before series four comes out. Even though there's loads of new stuff I want to watch. I just loved it so much. I want to go back and watch it. And obviously it's got Brian Cox in it, a fellow Scott for you. So I think I think it'll be of interest. Okay. I've put it on my homework for next week. Although maybe my media watching might interfere with that slightly. But all right, fair enough. I, I have put it on my homework. You're not the first person that's told me I should watch Succession. Even if you just watch the first episode and go, no. But I think you should try it and hope you'll get further than the 40 minutes of whatever you watched last week. Fair enough. That was the week before. This week I have had bad sisters on my to watch list for a very long time i watched i'd got up to episode four and then done nothing else with it even though i was very much enjoying it this is on apple tv plus i have watched another four now i'm up to episode eight so there's only 10 in the series so i've done quite well with sort of trying to get through my backlog of that i haven't watched any extraordinary attorney woo this week so that suffered unfortunately but what a well done show the actor that's in it clace bang and sharon horgan who is the she is the writer, but it's based on, a, 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 I think, a Norwegian thing is where they originally started off as. It's a, it's a great show. It's well acted. There's some phenomenal scripts in there. He is possibly the most hated bad guy in any show ever. And Clay Bang really owns that, i got to say. It's, it's superbly well done. Good show. Well done, Apple. Also, PJ Harvey does the soundtrack, which I hadn't realized before. So that's another proper tick for me. Yeah, do you know what? I haven't heard PJ Harvey for a long time. So I'd be interested. I used to be quite a big PJ Harvey fan for a while. So oh, it's just too much good TV to watch. It is good TV. And this is another one that sort of slammed back home to me, that Apple Sheen thing again. It does look phenomenal. And it makes Ireland's a beautiful country anyway, but it makes it look especially beautiful in, in Bad Sisters. Yeah, I don't disagree. I've never been to Ireland. I'd love to go because every time you see it on TV, I think it does look beautiful. Well, I'm going to say something controversial then. So I've watched a bit of Shrinking, which is a new TV show. It's just come out. It's got Kevin Siegel in it and Harrison Ford. I thought it was rubbish. It was about 10 minutes. Really didn't enjoy it. And maybe it's controversial. Maybe I should have given it longer, but I, I don't know. It just didn't seem to do anything for me. And I'd just come off watching Succession and thought, you know what? I won't dive straight to Series 3. I'll watch something that's just come out. Something that nobody's seen, nobody's really talking about. And Harrison Ford was good. Kevin Siegel, I thought I was disappointed. And I J- quite Jason. Liked. Jason Siegel. Oh, I was so close. Sorry, Jason Siegel. I, I, and I like him. He's been obviously in How I Met Your Mother, and I thought he was fantastic in that. He was in The Muppets. But no, I I knocked it off because I thought I'm not going to waste my time on it. I just wasn't. It was meant to be a comedy. It just wasn't. For me, it wasn't working. Fair enough. A bit staged and a bit bit placid for me. So you should try and maybe see if you, you agree or differ. But it's, yeah. So I, I have also watched it. I watched the first episode of Shrinking. You've done better than me. I watched all of it. I didn't think it was quite as bad as you did. I think because I tried that Echo 3 thing and Echo 3 plumbed the depths of how bad Apple TV can be for me. This was signif- I like that. Yeah, well, on this we differ, clearly. I didn't mind it quite so much as you. I, I will agree it's a bit staged and forced, but I think I see enough potential in it that I'd give it another episode. Did you pick up on the fact that it's the same creator as Ted Lasso? I'm guessing. I thought I, no, I thought I caught, was it Bill Lawrence at the Bill end? Bill Lawrence. I caught that at the end and I was trying to wrap my mind because didn't he do something like Scrubs or something? He did indeed do Scrubs. Yeah. 
So it, this wow. is this is another one of his, as is Ted Lasso. Should have stopped at Ted Lasso. And the executive producer is Brett Goldstein, who's Roy Kent. Yeah, no, I know he is. I had missed that Roy Kent was the producer. Oh, sorry, Brett Goldstein. I just thought it was just too staged and too. I don't know. Maybe it just needed a quicker, quicker cut or something. I just, I don't I, know. It just felt very slow and staged. I no, think. I, I, I completely see what you're saying. I do, I, I don't disagree. I, everything you've said is correct. I stuck with it. I, it made me smirk rather than laugh. I got to say, unlike Ted Lasso, which I was sort of immediately involved with, I will give it another episode. I, I didn't dislike it as much as you did, so it was okay for me. I'm not being funny though. If you've just done Ted Lasso, it's hard to beat that. Like they just nailed it in so many ways. No disagreement. Anyway, that's not bad for media this week. We've both watched some new stuff. Go us. Oh, yeah, well, like I said, that's why I thought I should try and watch something new and then instantly regret it. Should have, should have stuck with what I know. I guess if Succession is such a high-quality barrier, though, no matter what you watch next, you might be sort of dropping in, in that. Although I believe Succession's not a comedy, or is it sort of a very black comedy? It's very wrong in so many ways. Um, for me, though, I think Succession is, and it's great, it's HBO. And so instantly going into it, kind of like with Apple TV Plus, you think it's going to be good. Succession isn't a, a family comedy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's got some so wrong things in it. And for me, that makes it right. And it won't be, every, it definitely won't be everybody's cup of tea. And I think I like it because I've seen a bit of corporate life and some of it rings home. Fair enough. I mean, I wouldn't say Shrinking was family TV either because there's a lot of effing and blinding in it as well. But, you know, it's probably not to the scope that Succession is. Okay, point made. It's I think. probably more couples friendly than Succession. Okay. Fair enough. Good. Anything else in media? No, not for me. That was a quiet week. Okay. Games then, which I think is mostly me as well, if not entirely me for games this week. So I haven't gone back to Ghost of Tsushima yet because I got back into Marvel Midnight Suns in a very big way. They had a patch which increased the performance. The performance was killing me. It would crash in between meeting between meetings. In between in, <laughs> in between levels. As it would crash. You'd be playing a thing, you'd play a card, it would hard hard crash and back to the screen, which is extremely infuriating. I think I said last week or the week before. One of the bad guys actually dropped through the floor on one of the levels I was playing. I couldn't see him, but he could still hit all of my characters, which was quite frustrating. Thankfully, it reappeared properly with a reload, but things like that, bugs like that in a game are enough to put you off, so... Wow, yeah, that would be frustrating. It was frustrating. So anyway, in the patch, a lot of this stuff seems to be fixed. I only had one crash playing it for a couple of hours rather than several, which I had before. It's a really well done game. The voice acting is good. It's a bit uncanny valley with some of the, you know, the, the conversation pieces. It's definitely a bit friendship simulator rather than, than XCOM in places. But the combat's really good. It's very meaty. They've got some of the superheroes are quite fun to play. You know, you gain new ones as you go along. So I just got Captain America, which was quite cool. They've got different cards and different tactics and all the rest of it. So I am enjoying Marvel's Midnight Suns again. Now I've spent a bit more time with it and it's not crashing every five minutes. Always a bonus. Definitely helps, particularly on an expensive game. So that was that. So if anybody was thinking of, of playing it, then I would recommend that they do so. I have also noticed in the patch notes that it's now compatible with the Steam Deck, which could be a bit of a time killer for me. So my Steam Deck is back on charge behind me, so I can download that and see how it goes. Which led me to remember, you've got a play date. Have you done much for that? I do have a play date, and I, was, I did actually play on it this week. I, I can't remember what I was playing on it. I was just trying out some of the season games that have downloaded. I haven't played on it nearly enough 
for the 150 pounds i think i spent on it but no i did did charge it up and was playing it does seem to hold the battery reasonably well i do wish i had a backlight but no let me go and play some of the games and i should report back that maybe that's that's my homework for next week do you think the lack of a backlight is stopping you fiddling with it like would you would you would you lie in a darkened room with the tv on in the background and maybe fire up a quick game or something if you weren't totally paying attention to it do you think that's a a serious yeah possibly i i think it's for me probably not a serious problem but it's a slight frustration with it. I think that the screen could be so much better to use in more. You know, if you really want it to be a sticky device that's going to be used all the time, it needs to be accessible everywhere. I mean, it's one of the things I do like about the Steam Deck is if there's something on a home improvement program or something I'm not super into, that might be on the TV, but I want to sit with the family. I can sit with the Steam Deck and, you know, play a bit of Slay the Spire or it looks like a bit of Midnight Suns, actually. And, you know, and at least be present, if not entirely mentally present in the room. Yeah, I, I I don't screw that, and I, you know what? I should probably give give it to my kids to have a go on it and see, see what they make of it. So I could imagine though they're looking and go, "It's just black and white, Dad. What's that all about?" Fair enough. It would be interesting to me if you can get emulators for it. Like if you could get like a Nintendo Game Boy emulator or something like that, and get the original Tetris or Pokemon or something like that, it'd probably make it quite a compelling device for lots of reasons. Is there much of an emulation scene with it? No, I haven't looked. You know what I'm like. I just go with all the first party stuff. I have found a site that's quite good for buying some games on it. And obviously some people try and make a Tetris clone or, or what have you. I should, what I should do really is fire up the development kit and have a go at it. I probably quite enjoy that because I think to be fair to Panic, they've actually made the accessibility of the development quite easy on it in that you can either use a story-based one that's really open to anybody who can do it in a web browser or you can actually use the SDK and actually do program on it but i think they've made it you know an easy easy entry if that makes sense yeah so i've just had a quick google while you were talking there and the first link is to the play date play date is a handheld console developed by panic it's 179 dollars and in big red letters on the website it says there are currently no emulators for this console any youtube videos claiming to offer them are scams so no no emulators for the play date yet wow they are on about doing a store though or even if they don't do a store, they should do a store that's just links to all the good games. They need some central like gaming repository. I think that is a misstep by the developers. Fair enough. Good. That's all I've got for games, unless I've missed something. You did have Not Words in here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're quite right. I did have Not Words in here. So Not Words is a game by Zach Gage, who the, the venerable Zach Gage, who every single game he makes for iOS is worth downloading. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I sort of fell out of the habit of using it. And I've come back mostly for another podcast I was listening to with Jason Snell saying he'd actually fallen into the habit of playing it every day just as a little sort of brain exercise when he, you know, what, five minutes downtime, he'd fire up at not words and have a go. The concept of not words is it's kind of crosswords, but without clues but has the letters in the same way that a Wordle does. So, you know, these are the letters available for this word. Obviously, there's a, it, there's a timer based on it rather than you, you know, you can, you've got five goes or whatever it is, six goes to get it right. It's just become quite sticky for me. In the same way you talk about Gran Turismo and trying to complete your daily sort of challenge, your daily marathon, I've been doing the same sort of thing. I come in, I do a couple of the not words, and I get my little streak going, and I'm quite happy. And basically, when I'm sitting by lunch, if I get to look away from the keyboard for five minutes, I'll sit and do a little bit of not words while I'm eating a sandwich and sort of get on. And I find that quite therapeutic, actually. A little bit of stretch my brain. It's free. Why wouldn't you ha- you know, download it and have a look at it? Not words. It's a great little game. I have attempted to play this game, and I think I might have said this before on the show. It just doesn't click for me. I think I'm not a very good speller. I'm quite dyslexic, and I think that's why it doesn't click for me. I just really struggle with it. I'm, I'm never that great at word games, to be to be fair. But my wife loves this game, and it is 100% clicked with her. And she probably, like you, plays it little and often, kind of 
the kind of thing, probably like I would with threes. She's like that with not words. Because I remember when she downloaded it, she's like, oh, it's really, really good. And then I think it popped up about buying it. And I can't remember how much it was. And she, oh, it's asking me for, say, five pounds or something. And I was like, why are you enjoying it? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, well, why wouldn't you buy it? You know, you, you, she spends very little on, on apps on a, on a device. So if you're really enjoying it, support the developer. It's a good game. But no, it's really struck a chord with her as a, as a you know, like a daily game or, or you know, every two, three days that she, she will play it as a bit of downtime. So I think it's fantastic. It's very clever. For, like I say, it just doesn't work with how my mind works. Fair enough. It's not for everyone. I'm sure you've played like, was it Ridiculous but Fishing was Zach Gage's first one, I think. I don't know. He lost me at threes. As soon as he, threes was out, I just <laughs> played nothing else. I love that. I don't know why. I love that game. Fair enough. Just as a another bit of follow-up, I've just found a Nintendo Game Boy emulator for the play date as well. So that's in the show notes for anybody who is actually interested. It mm-hmm. Does, doesn't appear to be a scam. It's on GitHub. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe you've, you've got a GitHub piece you've got to you know, compile and, and deploy it yourself. Could be. Anyway, Moving swiftly on, we can fire into the main show. And I think you have come up with our topic for this week, so I'll let you introduce it. Yeah, it's probably going to be quite a short topic, to be fair. But it was just, I was thinking, right, I'm going to take my iPad into Apple later this week, and I'm going to give it over to them, and they're going to give me a replacement. And the genius was describing it to me as, hey, look, you just give us back your iPad, and we'll just give you a replacement, but just just make sure you've wiped it first and removed and find my from it. I was like, okay, well, that's fine, I'll do all that. And then I was thinking about it, well, normally when I buy a phone, I put the two devices next to each other, move everything over, just make sure the new one's all okay first before I wipe the old one. But I was thinking in this scenario, oh, am I going to have to wipe my iPad before I go into the store? Or, you know, I probably would wait until I got there just to make sure they have got it. You know, because you don't want to wipe it and then get there. And, and they, for whatever reason, there's been a miscommunication or something. So I just thought it might be something just to briefly talk about of, you know, what are the five things anybody should do before they wipe their device and then are there anything you should need to do once you're in the process of wiping it just make sure it is all clear if you're going to sell it pass it on to a family member give it to your son or daughter you know that that kind of thing and that's kind of what what i was just thinking about because i thought what i don't want to do is wipe my ipad get my new one and then realize i've left something really critical behind or i didn't tick a box that that yeah i i kind of get triggered by this process triggered maybe the wrong word but this process bites me every so often as well so in the family devices tend to get passed down so you know there are certainly not so much these days but in the early days the newest iphone would eventually end up with the youngest daughter and remembering to unlock all the bits and pieces isn't as straightforward as it used to be because even if you wipe the device quite often it's still activated against your apple id so there needs to be a process to carry out that unlocking and it's fine as you say you buy the new thing you know you transfer over to the new shiny thing that you've got from your old thing you leave it a couple of days to make sure all your apps come across and and the job's a good one off you go you forget about it now you are probably more aware of this than most because you've got a habit of selling on your devices so you're probably quite used to you know making sure the activation lock is switched off and all the rest of it but it's bit me a couple of times with particularly apple watches so the family had a couple of series three apple watches nobody was using them because nobody should really be using series three apple watches and people at work were interested in apple watches and i said oh, i've got one if you want to try one that's just lying around on my desk maybe you want to buy it fine great off you go and in both cases somehow they were still activation locked to the accounts in that case is my daughter's accounts so this isn't particularly straightforward and i don't think apple do a good job of explaining how locked down they are to your account and in the linked article in the show notes this is biting Max as well. So Max now have activation lock. 
and in the 9 to 5 Mac story that's linked to, there used to be a huge market for recycled Mac. So your business would buy your laptop, you'd use your laptop for three to five years. At the end of that, they'd make a bit of money or maybe not selling it on, giving it to charity, moving it to the third world, something like that is a typical process for something like this. Or even buying refurbished laptops from resellers themselves to put back into their industry. Increasingly, even in M1 Macs, they're arriving locked because the companies aren't removing the activation locks before they make it back into the channel. At that point, they're effectively landfill. And I feel two things about that. One, that's really bad, for, again, as we've already touched on in this show, for for the green credentials of Apple, that this is a thing. But at the same time, it's working as it's meant to. The reason there is activation lock is if somebody pinches your device, it doesn't get, it's not an easy path to unlocking it and removing that activation lock. Yeah, so the company out. The company I work for has been bitten by this in that before we had Microsoft, oh, sorry, Microsoft, Apple business linked to all of our corporate devices, we'd get one returned back and the person's left the organization and it's like, well, we can't do anything with that with that device. But now if you rest those devices with Apple Business Manager, it doesn't matter who signed into it on what iCloud account is owned by the business, we can force wipe it in essence. That has saved that whole landfill problem from a corporate perspective. Like I said, we have been through it. It was horrific because you're basically taking a 500 pound iPhone and you just couldn't use it anymore because you you didn't have that person's login to their, their iCloud account. And obviously, if, if they didn't want to communicate with the company they used to work for, there's not a lot you can do about it. So I think that is better as long as organizations use Apple Business. And once you've got it set up, it is very good. It is largely free and it is basically a portal that you log into and here's all your your devices you know you own in essence the imei number and therefore you can wipe them irrelative of what the icloud account is on there so so that is solvable for corporations and once you've done it, it, it like i say it's fantastic like you i have equally been bitten by this and i did pass on an apple watch before christmas and it was still logged in as my wife even though she's been using my one for my old one for a number of months and i was like right what do i need to do to detach this from her phone in essence and then you got the ring wall of well, I'll update it to the latest OS before I pass it on. And I'm normally quite a good passer on, if that makes sense. But normally, though, when you come off a device and you go, right, I'm going to stop using this iPhone, this Mac, you usually have the other one around for a period of time before you then pass it on or sell it or whatever you do with it. So I'm more worried about on Tuesday this week, what do I need to do, assuming I'm going to lose this device before I get the new one and set it up? So I was thinking, right, I need to run a full iCloud backup, tick. I need to make sure my photos are all synced, tick. Obviously, all my emails are all stored server-side, so I don't think any of that's an issue. I will check, is there anything saved in files on, on my iPad? I barely use on my iPad for anything. Everything's either in OneDrive for work or iCloud Drive for personal. So there's that one. But then I was struggling to think, is there anything else I need to do? I know in the past, people have talked about when you use something like Google Authenticator, that it keeps the one-time password codes on it, but I've actually moved all of that into one password, which syncs, and I've got all that on my iPhone. I've had a similar problem with Microsoft Authenticator. That that doesn't seem to sync terribly well between multiple devices. But again, I've got my iPhone and my iPad set up in the same way so that they, they are backups for each other. So as long as my iPhone's all set up, I think that's fine. And then I can get into my, my work Microsoft account and then add my iPad back in as a, you know an approved device. Same with one password. It's all, all on my phone and my iPad. So I'm struggling to think of anything I specifically need to do. I do need to take my SIM card out. Obviously, that's something that 
you know, I can't uh, live without. So I need to take that out of the iPad. But beyond that, that was kind of the list of key things I had. And obviously what I'm talking about here really does apply whether it's a phone or an iPad. And I do think life is a lot easier when you've got both devices side by side because you notice all the obvious things. And I'm guessing you and I have both been there you know, two weeks down the line, you go, oh, there's an app I only use infrequently and it doesn't back up to the cloud and it doesn't sync and I've left the data behind. There's always that risk. When I get a new iPad, should I do a restore from iCloud? I guess that's the question. Or do I set up afresh? What would you do? Well, there's two thoughts. Would Apple let you take your old iPad, new iPad, and you could sit in the shop and do them while you had them both together? I don't know. The guy just said, basically, you just come in and pick it up and go. And I didn't really think anymore about asking them because I thought, oh, my iPad's pretty much, you know, ephemeral. I can burn it down. And I think that statement is largely true. But I need to be up and running as quick as possible. So does it make sense just to do the peer-to-peer piece? But then is it going to transfer half a terabyte of data, you know, on a peer-to-peer network while I wait? Well, it's really hard to say. I don't know. I mean, it could, you, could, you could be sat in the shop for five hours if they let you do that. You know, it's, it's one option. I've, I have used iCloud backup before in the past, and it's relatively reliable. It's not too much of a problem. There is, it doesn't remember all your authentication things in the same way that the device-to-device does. Like you've just hit, said, for example, Netflix. You'll have to sign up Netflix again. It doesn't, let, it doesn't store the credentials for that, but it does if you do the device-to-device one. As you were talking, I was thinking you're going to have to take your YubiKey with you now sort of to authenticate the new device on there. Well, I haven't got that piece set up yet, so I think I'm okay there. But yeah, in the future, you're right. You would need your YubiKey. So, and I do travel with one, so I think that's okay. And whilst we've been talking, I've actually followed the link you sent me and ordered a second one with a sticker so I can identify it. So, so I have done that. And it, I don't know what's going on with YubiKey, but everything's going to deliver on the 17th, just a bit follow that, on the 17th of Feb, which is only a couple of weeks out, so seems pretty good. So I, I think my best plan of attack is make sure things backed up, make sure my, my photos are all synced, and then just blow it away and do a restore from from backup. I think that's the right thing to do. Ask if you can sit in the shop. Do the do an iCloud restore there in the shop on Apple's faster Wi-Fi. Do the have both devices. Do the restore. Make sure everything's coming back in. Make sure the couple of apps that have to be authenticated up and running are. And at that point, you can blow away and disassociate the iPad from your account. Yeah, because once I've got one password and I've got my work email on there, I'm pretty much good to go. And I am going straight off. I'm not coming home, so I do need it up and running because it is my one device. I don't have anything else to use. Yeah. You can, once the apps start restoring from iCloud Backup, press and hold on them and prioritize which ones come back in, which is a top tip. Not everybody knows. They think they just need to appear in the order they do. But when they appear in sort of a grayed-out way, you can press and hold on and say, prioritize this app, prioritize that app. Yeah, like I say, for me, it's one password, probably the B, and... Microsoft Authenticator for Work and Outlook Teams. And once I've got those, I'm largely good to go, I think. I think Microsoft Authenticator, you might need to get in some in touch with somebody in your IT department to authenticate the new Authenticator. I think that's the way that works. No, you can add it yourself. So you can go to portal.office.com. It depends on your, your attendance settings. And because I, I did this recently, I made sure my iPad and my phone were set up in the same way. So they've got the, you know, the, the, num- the six-digit code that appears for... 30 seconds each and rotate around. That might be for your enterprise, but I know the NHS don't allow that. There's a central thing to go back to for NHS. To... Yeah, it does depend on how, how you're configured, I think. So so I think I'm okay on, on all of those fronts. Yeah, I think I'm very okay. So backup, do a restore. And is it the same on a Mac? Because like you say, they've now got activation knock on Macs. And I think they've made the erase process better on a Mac, haven't they? Because it's now under settings, I thought. 
I've failed, I'll be quite honest, the last few times I've tried to do this. So the activation lock works, I know that because I've had a laptop stolen. Thankfully there was nothing on the laptop of any significance, but it, did, it was activation locked. When it went, it was it walked out of the office one day, which was a few years ago now. We've got better security since, thankfully. But when it walked, as I say, there was nothing on it, thankfully. As with you, almost everything we do is cloudy, so nothing actually is resident on the device, and it was encrypted and it was activation locked. So I was fairly comfortable about that. I have left it out there in the world because one day it may reappear in my account. Who knows? You never know. I can send South Wales Police to China or wherever it ended up to try and recover the device. You never know. Um, it's the same sort of thing. You can't log in until the activation lock is removed. It works in exactly the same way. The restore, I don't think, works. So you don't have an extensive iCloud backup for a Mac in the same way that you do for a phone. You would expect to restore from Time Machine or a local backup or something, but will at least let you use the machine. I will admit, I tried to delete an M1 MacBook Pro. It was extremely hard, even with all the credentials and things, to get it up and running again. I ended up having to do the delete and restore from the internet option and then get it going. The actual erase this and remove it from my account, which is a program within macOS, didn't work for the two Macs I've tried it on. So I don't think that's just me. Maybe it is because I'm the common common element within those things, but it hasn't gone well. Certainly, I'm confident the devices are encrypted and locked but unencrypting, unlocking, and being able to pass on, I found harder to do. Hmm, interesting, because I, have, I haven't sold a Mac in years, since, I guess, pre-M1, because I sold my Intel Macs, but as I got the M1 one. So, yeah, maybe they're, they're less of a deal for us, because what I have had to do in the past is, say if I've sold it to a shop, and they've called me up and gone, oh, can you log into your iCloud account and find it, and then click delete, because you've, you've left it in there, and it's still linked in essence to, to your iCloud account and that's good you can do it remotely you haven't got to be in front of the device yeah I think other than that some of them I mean because part, part of me did debate actually you know do I go and get this new iPad and then sell it and get the UM2 one but I just think that's too much kerfuffle I, I think so I mean, as, as I'm talking, do it in the shop and don't leave the shop till you're confident your, your new iPad up, up and running because both of us had the, those problems when we were setting up new iPhones for, you know, people in our family o over Christmas and a little bit before that. So something can go wrong. You know, it's not good enough to go, yep, looks like it's fine. You know what, you want to get to a point you're confident and you can fire up one password and it's usable. If they're going to fail, they do tend to fail earlier on, but it's it's all that is a bit of a worry, isn't it? And I, as you were talking about the Macs there, I've only had these problems with, you know, restoring Macs and things since the T2 chip came along. So I never had a problem with it with Intel Macs up to that point. It's only T2 Macs that I've had an issue with because I had that one of the problems with the Mac Pro that I had. So interesting. Mm. Yeah, interesting. But I think you've just confirmed my thoughts. Yeah, I want to be leaving the shop with it at least logged in to a couple of key apps. So I, I am up and running and then probably just leave it downloading. Yeah. I think for me will just do a restore from iCloud because I probably just want all my icons where they are and, and you know, all the settings that I've got already set up because I have been through that before when oh, I'll, I'll start afresh. I don't think you realize quite how many granular changes you've made over the last two years or, or however long it's been. And then whilst it's a nice idea, it can be a complete pain to do it. So I think I will go for a restore from from backup. I think so. And those little gotchas always get you, like the adding adding your cards to it again when it's a phone particularly, you know, putting in your, your CVC codes and all that kind of stuff. And I do wonder off in the distance when, you know, driving licenses and things like that are potentially part of your wallet too. How much of a nightmare is that going to be? I can't wait for driving licenses to go in because then I need physical cards even less. But I... You kind of want it all to be synced, but you kind of understand why it's not synced and it is all just encrypted locally. So 
Yeah, I do get it. Once we've all got our two Yubi keys, I'm sure they'll trust us more and we'll just be able to restore everything to our phones. Maybe that's part of the long-term plan. Yeah, true, true. And Apple TV, I think if you're saying, well, I haven't sold one of those in literally donkey's years. I'm assuming that is just literally an array and you're done, isn't it? I don't think there's much to do there. I, I presume so, but it still drives me wild that you buy a new Apple TV and you've got to sign into everything again from you know Disney+, Plus, Netflix, all these things again and again and again. And the only thing it remembers if you put on sync is the location of your icons. It's rubbish. I don't disagree with that statement at all because, yeah, I've got all the family set up on mine so we can change profiles and stuff and who's watching what. And yeah, it doesn't seem to remember anything. Sometimes the kids appear on them when you get a new one. Sometimes they don't. So no, I completely agree on that one. Good. Okay. Anything else for that? I think we've sort of been through that reasonably comprehensively. No, that was it. I just wanted more of just a brief talking point. Perfect. Thank you. Great. I have got an app of the week this week, actually. It's one I found from a colleague of Brent Simmons of Net Newswire fame. It's called Zavala. I have linked to it in the show notes. It works on iOS, iPadOS, and macOS. It's an outliner. It's very simple. It syncs with the cloud. It works beautifully. It's easy to put in URLs and images. It's exactly what I want from an outliner app. It's nice and simple. I can hit a tab key on my Mac and I'll indent and indent and indent, and you can drop your indents down as quickly as you go. I, I think it's a fantastic app. I can't believe it's free. I want to give them some money. It's, it's just impressed the hell out of me. It really has. Yeah, so I saw this. I downloaded it after seeing that you, you'd you added it in. It looks great on the iPad. My one comment is I don't like the, the, the choice of green and I wish I could change it. But it looks fantastic. You can so change simple. it. I couldn't on my iPad. It said choose your color theme. and It was either light or dark. Maybe it's different on the Mac. On the Mac, I can pick fonts and colors, whether they're green, you know, what, what palette I want to use and all the rest of it. But, you know, I'm, maybe, maybe that's a fix that's coming anyway. But whatever, I think it's brilliant. I, I, yeah, and like you, I was looking at it, I was like, it says free forever. And I thought, that's great in a way, but equally, if I started putting a lot of data into it, I think I'd be worried that it's going to disappear one day. It's a great looking app and very well written very simple and you know what it's one of these apps it doesn't do lots but what it does it does really well it's not trying to be a swiss army knife it's trying just to be a knife yeah and i quite like that that's the unix philosophy isn't it one app for thing don't try and glom all your stuff together and sometimes that works really well yeah and it and it's fully ipad friendly by looks bit like it does multiple windows and and it resizes really well and yeah just generally fantastic app i'm tempted to have a little bit of a play with this I think you should. And I'm just clicking around in iCloud Drive while you're talking, actually, and it looks like you can get right into the info lists and things for what's stored in iCloud Drive for it, and you should be able to pull your stuff out. Well, that is good, actually, yeah, if it was going to go away. You know, imagine if it did a Twitter and just disappeared overnight from third parties, and that would be bad. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. But for the moment, I quite like the look as a valid. Nice little app. Well executed. Nice that it's got that platform synchronicity between all of the things. It's not just an iPad thing us Mac users can't get at and vice versa for once. So very good. It probably needs some sort of sharing. But as we've been going through this this week in our little document here, I'm quite impressed with the sharing that we've managed so far. I think it does have sharing, but I don't know if it's just share a snapshot or whether it's collaborative sharing so i was going to try that with you maybe that's some follow-up for next week fair enough good stuff so that's me i think you've got something this week yeah i was thinking you're doing app of the week and i I would struggle to do that so i thought i'd just do a thing of the week so this week i'm going for a book and i was going to go with satsuma complex which is a book by bob mortimer the comedian that most people will probably heard of in the uk it was a book i got bought for christmas i've got it in hardback it's quite cheap in hardback it's less than 10 pounds on amazon 
but it's fantastic it was a really quick book to read it's only about 300 pages and i just generally really enjoyed it and i just thought you know what i'll recommend something a bit different and it's also available on audible and bob does do the narration of the male character in it and somebody else does the female character so that was my recommendation a book that's a good recommendation. I think it's, it's an area of media we don't cover some, not often enough as reading. I know we've done the odd Audible book and things like that as well, but it's quite nice, a physical paper book that you can have a read. And like I say, it was a present. And what I quite liked about it was it was only 300 pages. There are a lot of books that are tombs lately, and it was quite nice to have something quite quick. And it was generally an enjoyable read and at mixed length chapters. They weren't all 20 pages long. And yeah, just thoroughly enjoy- relaxing read. I'm going to correct straight away and say it's a tomb, not a tomb. A tomb is something you put a dead oh, sorry. body in. <laughs> yeah, that's my fault. <laughs> that's the academic in me coming out. <laughs> I'm not an academic. <laughs> I think we can call it a show there, Chris. Yeah, I think so. Sorry, we've gone a bit long in the end. We have gone a bit long. So, so look, if anybody wants to get in contact, you can catch Rod at Masterdon. He is at g5maniac at masterdon.scott. I am at underscore cjp at masterdon.social. And we can be emailed at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. And love to hear any feedback from anybody. And if you want us to talk about anything in the show or have suggestions, please do let us know. Good show. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Bye.